0: Welcome to Dream Nation. I'm your host, Yulia. And today on the show, I interview Mickey Agarwal, who has a new book out called Disrupt Hurt. It's a manifesto for the modern woman. But before we get into the interview, I wanna tell you about Bloom Bras. And it's a really great woman-run company. And you can check them out at bloombras.com. That's B-L-O-O-M-B-R-A-S.com. And what's really great about these sports bras is that they don't squish your boobs into a uni-boob. They lift and they separate. And the system is designed to distribute weight evenly throughout the back taking the pressure off your shoulders and plus they make your boobs look really great when you're working out so check them out at bloombras.com and also i want to tell you about mod jewel it's a woman-owned company out of boston creating purses that can be customized to match any mood and any outfit, starting from the strap to the clasp to the shell. It's a really great concept. They've been a fast company. Check them out at mymodule.com. So if you're looking for an amazing sports bra or an amazing purse, definitely check out these two companies. On the show today, I interview Mickey Agarwal. And some of you might already know Mickey, but for those who don't, she's an incredible entrepreneur, author, jack of all trades. She's the co-founder and chief inventor of THINKS and THINKS are period-proof underwear, which are really amazing and you should definitely check them out. And um, what I also love about THINKS is that they've helped over 100,000 girls in Uganda return to school. And that is so inspiring because in a lot of developing countries, a lot of young girls miss school due to their period, due to not having any sanitary products. So the fact that they've helped 100,000 girls in Uganda return to school is incredibly inspiring. And Mickey did not stop there. Did you know that actually one in three women pee a little when they laugh jump or sneeze? Well, Mickey does. So she co-created a gorgeous pee-proof underwear line called Icon, you can check out as well. She also created a company called Tushy, which you can check out at HelloTushy.com And Tushy is upgrading the American bathroom experience. It's a modern, best-in-class, affordable bidet attachment. I will tell you that it's really great for women who just had a baby. And it's sustainable and it thinks about the environment, which is in true Mickey style. Mickey also loves eating, so she founded the acclaimed farm-to-table gluten-free pizza concept called Wild I've eaten there a few times in the city. It's really great. If you love pizza, you definitely need to go check it out. And she just opened her fourth location in Guatemala. Mickey is a powerhouse. And um, Disrupt Her is going to be her second book. Her first book, Do Cool Shit, is really incredible. And you should definitely check it out if you haven't yet. So now that you know a lot about Mickey, let's get right into the show. Hi. Hi. Okay, it's recording. Hi. Welcome. How are you? Is your baby not crying? He's
1: crying upstairs, but um, he's in bed right now.
0: I'll keep it brief. Okay, so I'm going to go right into the podcast. And my first question is, what was your dream as a kid? I
1: mean, it's funny because my dream or my Asian parents' dream?
0: That's <laughs> um, a good question, right? Because most um, most kids who grow up in a different country, that's exactly what comes up.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, my parents' dream for me was to be a doctor, especially my dad's dream, was for all three of his daughters to be doctors. You know, Yuri the brain surgeon, Rada the orthopedic surgeon, Mickey the heart surgeon. And that was my dream for initially until I was like, I don't know if that's for you. do. And um, so my dream, I mean, I've always wanted to be a professional soccer player. Um, you played soccer. I did. I played all four years of college. and I played for the New York Magic. But then I had three ACL reconstructions thereafter. So you could have shot for four. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I was like, I'm going to save the fourth. Um, I want to save my knees and my body for my children so I can run around and play with them. But but my knees are bad. They're fine. They don't hurt. They're they're really hundred percent,
0: yeah, I mean, I read a little bit about you, so you know you played soccer, that was your dream, you wanted to do film, you were producing for Justin Timberlake and beyonce and mm-hmm. uh, all of that and then um, and then you started doing companies, you became an entrepreneur, so what was the progression from you know wanting to be a doctor to launching startups?
1: Well, I mean, what I came to realize, um, like when I graduated from college, I went to school upstate New York. Um, and when I graduated, I moved to New York city and I got a job in investment banking and, um, you know, I got the, I took the job because a, it paid the most out of college. Um, and I had a lot of student loans to pay off and I was like, you know, I, what's the fastest route to pay off my student loans? It's like, okay, I'll work in investment banking. Um, it was also a, a very sought after position in college. And so it was fun to be like, you know, it was competitive and I just was like, Oh, everybody wants this job. What is an investment banker? And I just kind of took the job ego reason, you know? And then when I, when I really sat in the job, it was just like awful. I really did not want to do the job. And so I, I like, actually what, what happened was nine eleven happened and this, this, you know, was a very big Jarring moment. My subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. My office, my investment banking job was directly across to World Trade Center. And it was one of those stories where, you know, I was supposed to be there on that day. 700 people in my girlfriend's office died. Two people in my office died on that day. And it was the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. And so I was totally spared. And so it kind of set me on a path to really pursue my passions. And so I was like, I want to play soccer. I want to make movies. I want to, you know, you know, start a business. And, um, I, I did all those things. I worked, I did the, you know, I did, um, the soccer thing and I worked in the film business kind of in production, working my way up, um, to pr- producing, uh, commercials and music videos. Um and then I just had my first business idea, which was born out of a stomachache. I also realized that I'm not a very good employee.
0: Aren't we all? We're really good at doing our own stuff and running I, companies.
1: I know, I know. And 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 not that I'm like I think it's important to learn how to be one and I had to, you know, really learn learn that and, and you know and I think, you know, you learn how to be humble as an employee. And I think I didn't learn that for a very long time you know, I I thought I can do anything and create anything. And, um, And so I think that naivete played a big role in being an entrepreneur. I think you have to be very naive to be an entrepreneur. You think you can do it and you're like, oh, this looks easy. Like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And so my first business was in the restaurant business, which was probably the hardest business to get into when you're starting anything. And I had never worked in a restaurant, didn't know how to cook, never started a business. I didn't work. I didn't hire people. I just never did anything. And I probably can say very safely that the restaurant business is the hardest business in the world.
0: I have trouble like cooking four things at a time. Like three is like manageable. Four, everything just burns.
1: Yeah. And you're dealing with hangry customers. You're dealing with things coming out on time. You're dealing with like cooking temperatures and you're dealing with like you know i'm in the, my my restaurant you know are gluten free farm to table pizza concepts, and so you know you're dealing with people with algae, so no cross contamination and there's so many you're dealing with the health department you' dealing. i mean you're just dealing with every single possible difficult thing so subjective and it just depends on what the inspector wants and they often have like a quota cannot leave restaurant without finding fifteen hundred dollars in your business and you're you know with a tiny little space and trying to make ends meet it's really really hard and such a like stressful experience and um, Yeah, that that was a big wake-up call in business world I would say for sure for me and I still have restaurants. I have three in New York and one in Guatemala
0: So you have wild and wild is doing really good and being in a restaurant business is so hard as a woman who's built multiple companies What is your advice on fundraising?
1: Um, I mean, I think you have to meet people where they are. I think, um, you know, when I raise money for my businesses, specifically in the taboo categories, like periods or pee or poop, you know, I can talk openly about Tushy, um, my newest company. It's just that if you're talking about like clean bums, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you have to meet people where they are. And then you know, and then kind of break them down a little bit. And so it's kind of like, you know, John Mackey, who's the founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. Um, he's also the godfather of my son, dear friend of mine. We both sit in the board of Conscious Capitalism. He wrote the book, Conscious Capitalism, which is an incredible, important book um, of our time. And, um, you know, we talked, we told war stories about just building businesses. Obviously, he built a $16 billion business, very different. But um he, Talked about when he first started Whole Foods, you know, Whole Foods was gonna shut down because was 100% he was hundred percent vegan. Because he's a stopped vegan, he's been vegan for thirty years and I'm vegan. Amazing. I'm pesca vegan. <laughs> um and I don't eat dairy you know. So he said so he when he started his, his when he started Whole Foods it used to be a vegan play. It was a vegan, but he, you know, he was gonna shut his business down. Like nobody was he wasn't making enough money. And, you know, he had two directions to go in. One, he could have been outraged and just been like, why is everyone meat eaters? It's terrible. I'm shutting my business down, but you're horrible. Or he could have met people where they are, which is bring meat into his stores, but bring in the best possible meat that he can find and meet people where they are. And then slowly over time, teach them and educate them on a plant-based whole foods diet. And so those are the two options. And so, you know, in the same way for me, when you're talking about really taboo things like Something that you know a woman experiences, like a period, and um, men are you know mostly investors, and you're trying to like get them to understand like the plight of being a woman. It's just not going to happen if you're like, oh my god, the leaks are so uncomfortable. It's like they're like, I don't even know what you are talking about. Versus just like, no, the, the feminine hygiene category is a fifteen billion dollar category, or the toilet paper industry is a ten billion dollar market. You know, there are eighty-five million millennial. You know um Americans um and you know, right now it's a blue ocean category for a product like a bidet. You know, bidets are ubiquitous globally, you know, all over Asia, Japan, they over eighty percent of households have bidets. In Europe, France, Italy, um, all over Europe. It's ubiquitous all over Asia, India, they have bum guns. I love Middle- bum guns. In the Middle East they all have bidet and really, one of the only reasons why bidets are not ubiquitous in this country is cultural you know and um uh, reason you know america, French invention the bidet america English hate the French, and therefore that's one of the big reasons why like we don't want a French thing in a in you know on an english soil um and, and there were some other ridiculous reasons why we're using dry paper to wipe ourselves currently, and so the environmentalist movement is growing. The Lojas community, the life you know lifestyle, lifestyle health um, market is 56 million in the United States. So that market is massive and growing, and so people are are interested in environment, interested in health and hygiene. It's on the rise. All that sector. And so that's kind of how I talk about it. I don't talk about like, it feels nice and your lady parts and your bum feel, you know, it's more like the industry, the size of the market, the opportunity, you know, the sort of the competitive landscape, you kind of really talk about that. And then you can, you know, you can sell the idea in a way that's compelling.
0: That's a really great end because I think that's what a lot of women struggle with, especially, you know, when they're going up um, to present to male investors. How do you frame it so they understand? And it's numbers. Men love numbers and they love finance yeah. and they love things that make them money.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: So that that's really wonderful advice. But
1: say I will, I will add one thing to that is that women-led companies outperform male-led companies by over 60% now. It's 64.
0: So, 64%. 64, yeah. And
1: um and it's it's very it's very real and so i think as the landscape you know shifts and we we start to get real statistics coming in um i think the investment landscape will start shifting towards women women are better with money women are not you know not as reckless um you know can multitask aren't just like this and so as a result are able to tackle a lot at one time and and i think that's a skill set that businesses need especially young upstarts
0: well i think all the businesses when they come down to it it's women running the businesses it's men starting it but it's women who are getting the work done you bring in admins you bring in assistants you bring the women who are the glue yeah we're the the glue of an organization
1: no totally and i think more and more women are starting businesses too
0: i think so too and um you know this kind of leads me into the next question which is um how can people, not necessarily women, you know, how can people celebrate each other's differences instead of tearing each other down?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's it's a very animalistic thing where, um, you know, men have been known, you just, just, just historically, you know, and, and from a just general, you know, human perspective and just animal perspective, males are, are meant to spread their seed and women are more protective because they, you know, they have one egg that grows into a baby and they're just a lot more productive. So from a just from an animalistic perspective, you know, women are generally a lot more territorial and I think as in, in business, I think it just kind of like washes over there in in that in that space too specifically because When there's only men around the table and then there's one woman that fights her way to get to the table, and then, you know, there's a feeling of scarcity, that there's just not enough seats at the table for more women. And so if there's more women encroaching on the one woman who's sort of like clawed her way to get to the table, you know, that creates more competition. But I think if we're able to say to one another that it's instead of having a scarce mindset where it's just like one seat at the table, let's just make more room for more women. And I think that's starting to happen more and more where women are feeling they're, they can bring their guard down and accept that the more women that there are at the table, the better the businesses will run. And, you know, even from my perspective, I've felt that scarcity before and, you know, over time let my guard down too. And I think it's, I mean, I'm also an identical twin and so I've had to share, but you know, there really is a scarcity mindset that we need to all learn to, to, you know, recognize that there is abundance all around. There's abundance, there's enough for everyone to go around and we don't have to, you know, claw and fight. We can just support one another. And I think that is starting to happen more and more. I, I would, you know, like to see less just t-shirt wearing, you know, feminists and more real feminists. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of women who, who love to wear the t-shirts and and the hats and, and the, and the, paraphernalia and, you know, and, and, and sort of rah, rah, rah the language. But I think true feminism is when women support one another and women give each other the benefit of the doubt and women really want to take care of each other and not try and tear each other down if they've been let down, you know? Um, so, you know, I, 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 totally, you know, I totally see, the world shifting, I think, you know, as the feminine rises in power and not rise in power, but rises um, and the masculine, you know, even among women start to, you know, kind of simmer. um, I think the the world will shift for the better, even within men. I think if the men are allowed to invite their feminine, um, you know, to be seen more, then they'll feel better too.
0: yeah i agree you know it's so primal at the very end like even if we're wearing suits and if we're driving like electric cars it just comes down to this like primal instinct and we just have to like rise above it and like we're just all just creatures but um but my next question is um about your book so you have a new book coming out it's called disruptor yes and um you talk about female disruptors and i think creatives are natural disruptors and they're often finding ways to express themselves and solve problems, uh, especially women, too. How can we encourage non-creatives to be disruptors?
1: Um, I mean, I think everyone can be disruptors in their lives. And, and, and I think it, you know, it's really looking at the way society says things should be done. And it's like, be this way, act this way, sound this way, do things this way. And we kind of accept that that's the way it is. But I don't think it's necessarily just creatives who can say, oh, I don't like it this way. I'm going to do it differently. I think in every category, in every aspect of our lives, we can look at, question, research, understand, and then, and then disrupt, um, you know, when it, when it comes to our own, you know, sense of self. You know, for example, one disruption in my book is, um, you know, the common belief in the world today is that we have to get serious as we grow up, Right. get our heads out of the clouds and get serious, you know, like grow up, you know, uh, um, you know, stop, stop playing around. Like, you know, we're told all these different things. So we're like, oh, as we grow up, we should really be serious people. Whereas actually the disruption is you can actually be both childlike, playful, awestruck by the world around us and be still responsible at the same time. You know, so I think we often forget that so much of ourselves, we we get to be in flow in the most flow when we're playing, you know, the, so many of my ideas came from playing Thanks, you know, my, my, my period product came from playing at my family barbecue. So we need to remember that, um, the more serious we are, the less in flow we will be because we're not loose, you know, and we're not like in our bodies and in our, in our, in ourselves, we're just sort of, playing a role that we believe needs to be played in the society that we live in. But that's just not true. Society was created by people no different than you or me, you know, and was people by, by people no smarter than you or me, you know, Even Steve Jobs loves saying that and, and I agree. And so it's just once we realize that and everything changes.
0: Yeah. And I think flow has a lot to do with it. Because when you put yourself into the flow, you let energy enter you. Right? You're connecting with the divine flow and whatever you're supposed to be doing. Like if you just kind of make yourself open to whatever the universe wants you to do, it will like kind of flow through you and you just have to let it flow instead of like blocking it by like, you know, being a doctor or doing something that you don't want to do because then whatever's supposed to happen, whatever your magic is to the universe, it won't manifest.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's what a lot of people don't understand. And um, a lot of my podcast is about helping people understand that it's never too late to dream and it's never too late to get into your flow. Because a lot of people are just walking around stuck in their jobs, not knowing how to change change relationships, change, change their life. They're their own prisoners. And I think flow is just so, 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 so important. And I think, you know, you get a lot of flack. Well, Mickey, you get a lot of flack for different things every once in a while, like, especially for earning, Man. And I think people are just a little jealous. I think they want to have fun. And you're reminding them that people can have fun. And they're like, she's having fun. That's not fair. I want to have fun, but I can't let myself have fun. <laughs> so I'm just going to be angry. I'm just going to be, instead of, like, having fun, I'm just going to be angry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think
1: it's, it's just that. I think people want permission to be fully and wholly who they are. And I think... You know, like for me, you know, post-pregnancy, and even like building businesses that are talking about things like vaginas, buttholes, like breasts, like things like that. People can very easily take what I say out of context. You know, and I'm playing, and I'm trying to have, you know, like we're we're talking about things, we're changing culture. People can very easily take that out of context and and say, oh, you're 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 not being couth, you're being very uncouth. And I'm just like, no, you know, I'm just talking about human body, like that. Everyone, that's just everybody has you know, we should be allowed to talk about that, you know, in in the same regard, you know, going and pumping, you know, at Burning Man and giving away my breast milk so that they don't go to waste and that people can really take in liquid gold. You know, that again, is just a lack of permission that we've had in this patriarchal world that we live in. You know, we've been told that, oh, we have to be sequestered to a corner in a back room to go and pump food for our children, which also fed you men, you know, and so it's just like, It's about giving ourselves permission again and just being free and open. And if people find that to be crass, they also live in the confines of this patriarchal world, then that's okay. That's kind of like, they'll be able to break through on their own or stay within there. And that's like, I'm not judging. It's just the way it is, you know, in the same way when, you know, like when things happen in a way that's really hard and challenging, like you kind of have to surrender to it. It's part and parcel of being a disruptor, you know?
0: Let's see. My next question is, so many people are afraid to go after their dream and design a more meaningful life. You write about that in your book. Um, how does one overcome the fear of failure? How can people just free themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you rep- if you just remove the word failure from your vocabulary, even people are like, fail forward. And, you know, it's just like <laughs> that still has a negative word in it, which is fail. Mm-hmm. You know, when putting yourself out there and you are sort of in the ring and and you know, making shit happen, you know, like, it's not failing if you don't, if you don't win, you actually are learning and growing, you know, so I've sort of replaced the word failure with learning and growing. And and in in my book, Disruptor, I actually replaced the word failure with revelation. Um, You know, it's not, it's not failing, it's revealing things. It's revealing. In my book, I talk about the scout. And the scout is somebody who, Um, you know, in, in, for example, if there, if there's a a group of people in, in the forest trying to get to a new destination, the scout is the person oftentimes on their own who goes off in front to go and see what the right terrain is and the right, which direction is you know to go. And we'll run into all kinds of obstacles, whether it's falling trees, whether it's bears, whether it's a ravine, whether it's a river, all kinds of things a scout will, will run into. Um, when they run into these things, the scout call themselves, oh, I failed. I just hit a, I hit a, a tree and I, oh, a, I, I saw bear paws. It's probably not safe. That's failure. Let's just go back and just stay where we came from. No, they'll just turn around, go a different direction i like, okay, this is not the right path. Let me turn around, retrace my steps, go back to where I, you know, this is the fork and the road and then go a different direction and then and try and keep going. That's just, they just, they don't have the word fail in their vocabulary. Do any animal have the word fail in their vocabulary? They don't. We're the only ones that cerebrally humans have conjured up this word failure and, you know, put a, you know, put a price on it. You know, it's like, oh, it's bad. It's not a good thing. It's negative. It's not, you know, it's just, so, um, I'm challenging everyone to remove the word failure and replace it with revelation.
0: I love that. I think we're also the only creature that pays for rent. I don't think any other creatures pay for rent. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It's like nobody. Why do we pay for rent?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that again came during the Neolithic era. This is also in my book, disruptor, you know, where did this scarcity mindset come from? And it, it really came from when land division happened, when we, when we went from nomadic, you know, hunter-gatherers to sedentary farming, you know, people. And you know, when we went when we became farmers, hunter-gatherers, everyone foraged for themselves, got enough what they you know, what they enough for for themselves and for the people around them and and then shared the rest. There was no ownership of land, nobody took more than they needed. And then all of a sudden farming became a thing and um, you know, land eventually started to get divided, and then men started to call, this is my land. And, you know, my people, and this is why they made their wives virgins and you know, they only want to select virgins to marry because then they can say their offspring could then also take over the land that they claimed as their own and so forth. And so it became more and more this mentality of scarcity versus abundance. And then women also fell into this sort of patriarchal system of land division and said, oh, I need to keep myself safe and my offspring safe. And therefore I'm going to, you know, like, you know, you know, like also have the scarcity mindset and, and not share as well, which is a lot of where this sort of cat fight began amongst women, where they felt unsafe and they couldn't forge for their own stuff anymore. And therefore they needed to like, you know, latch on to a man to, you know, keep themselves and their children safe. So it just sort of built from there. um, and, And I think it just kind of, Evolved to today in various forms.
0: Yeah, you have to look at history. And I just did a podcast with um, Daniel, who does History on Fire. And we talked about how women were just ran out of history. So he can't even profile women on his podcast that much, except for a few here and there, because we don't exist in history, even in Chinese culture. But um, so my next question is, what advice do you have for people who want to write a book? How did you start writing a book? This is your second book, you know, find an agent, a publisher. What's your advice for people who are listening right now who are thinking about writing a book?
1: So, I mean, I think you just have to have a a real desire to share your knowledge. I don't think it really can come up come from a place of, of like, I want to have my name on a book and be an ego driven thing where you're just like, you know, cause, cause for me, when I wrote my, my first book, like I had nothing but one restaurant and had no business writing a book, but I learned so much about starting a business, you know, raising money, getting press for the first time, actually getting my first $25,000 check and how hard that was, starting to come up with the idea at all and putting together the business plan presentation. like Every single part of starting and growing a business, I, I learned and I wanted to share that because I knew so many people who wanted to have the same dream but didn't figure out how you know didn't have the time or the resources or the or the energy or the ability to figure it out and so you know for me it was just very much a like a a deep desire to to share the knowledge and and same thing with disruptor you know like to disrupt requires you know a lot of things a lot of blocking and tackling and a very specific type of mentality um and and I want to share that I want to share what it took to Get, get, to this place and all the learnings I, I had along the way. And I think, you know, by keeping a lot of the lessons just within me, it's just not that productive. And so I think you just have to start with, by having a burning desire to really share your knowledge from there, a lot of it will flow out of you. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, you, you know, when you, when you have a story to share, it just pours out of you and then you can edit it down, um, over time. But, um, you know, it, it's like I wrote Disruptor in four months and, um, and it was eight, or two months, sorry, I wrote Ducal shit in four months and, um, it just poured and poured and poured out of me it was during a very, you know, um, you know, colorful time in my life. And so I had a lot of inspiration to write about, um, and, and share. And so, um, and so that's sort of how it, how it happens usually
0: when you were writing your book, right, you had to submit it to agents, you had to find a publisher. Uh, What was your process, right? Because this is your second book. So it's a little different. Did you put together a pitch letter? Like, what's your advice for writers out there who are listening to the podcast who want to write a book?
1: Yeah, you know, I put together a book proposal, which, you know, which basically consists of you know, like why this book is important in the world today. You know, why is it timely now? What are some of the competitive type of books that you can sort of benchmark this against? Um, why you, you know, like why me, like, why should, why should you be the right person to write this particular book? Um, you know, um, and, and then you have to have two sample chapters generally to kind of show the, the sort of tonality and and your writing style, um, and that's it, you know, and, in a table of contents of, of what, what the whole book is going to be about. Um, and, um, and then a marketing plan, a really real marketing plan of, of sort of how you plan on marketing this book. Cause you know, publishers for the most part are just printers and distributors are not as much, you know, the marketing people engine behind the book. It's, it's often the author. Um, so, so you really have to have a, a following or, um, you know, have access to uh, people with following and with big followings. Um, and, you know, access to press or really figuring out what your marketing and, and and sort of, you know, plan is PR strategy to get the book out into the world. That's a big one. So um, yeah, and I think once you put that together, um you you go and present the idea to an agent, you get a book agent, you know, either Sterling Lord Literistic, that's that's sort of that's my current um agent. Um, you know, or writer's house, you know, that was my agent for Ducal Shit. Um there are many, many, many agents um that exist all over the country. Then then the agent goes and pitches your idea to publishers.
0: Yeah, I think that's great because I think a lot of people approach it as, hey, I'm just going to write a book and like, and people are going to do the work for me. And I don't think yes, it, it's exactly. not how it works. So it's really yeah. great to hear that from a writer. And I've got two more questions. So as a new mom, what tools and knowledge do you want to give the next generation to create like a more enlightened society?
1: <laughs> Be in nature. Um, I think nature can teach us so much. And I think we live in these cities that are just promoting ego status, competition, money, power, and like all that stuff where when you're in nature, you're just sort of, you know, you're at peace, you're relaxed. Everything is, is working for one another. It's a cohesive communal existence where, again, trees, you know, support, you know, every bit of of, of each other and they live in, and exist in harmony with one another. And I think we can learn so much of just being in nature, so I plan on uh, on really trying to do my part in conserving this planet. And I think I'm in the business of, you know, eliminating disposables and consumables. That's the business I'm in. So she does that. You know, my, my former businesses do that. You know, my restaurants are all about supporting local and um, seasonal ingredients. And and so it, it really is the planet. You know, we have one world that we live in, and, and we we're depleting it. We're killing it for for ego, for power, for money, for, for, for greed. And I think the more we can just spend time in the woods, the better. So I'll I'll do that.
0: That's so beautiful. It's true. So my last question is what's your dream as an adult?
1: (laughs) My new dream, my current dream or, um, or my dream that when I first became an adult, which is maybe now,
0: you can list them all. People always think that you can only have one dream. Like there's a shortage of dreams, right? But we can have a million dreams. Why not?
1: My dream has always um, has has always been to be able to create the things that are percolating in my brain and things that I'm passionate about. And I and I think that I've uh, built my life to make that a reality. You know, I have a thought, an idea, you know, a creative inspiration, and Um, and I, and I, I now have the, I figured out the tools needed to bring them into the world. And I think, you know, the most important thing that we can do, I think to heal humanity beyond, um, you know, saving our planet is by helping people really pursue their passions. Because once we do allow and and support one another, the happier people will be and the less angry and the less need for, you know, greed and other things to mask, you know, our sadness and anger and upset is by just pursuing our passions. And so, um, you know, for me, it really has always been to create products that are helping conserve our planet that are smarter, that are more thoughtful, that are more considered of our human experience and the planetary experience. And so, um, you know, that's, that's been my dream. Um, and, and I, I continue to stand by that dream
0: it's beautiful well thank you for sharing your dream with me i know you're busy you've got a lot of things happening appreciate you taking the time to connect with me over skype absolutely
1: i'll put the video back on just to say bye
0: thanks i'll do the same yeah thank you so much i know you're busy thank you for connecting all right bye Yulia. take care bye mickey bye bye thanks for tuning into the show i hope you enjoyed it please share on twitter instagram and facebook at dream nation love It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.